Hello and welcome to the South Carolina Lead. I'm your host, Gavin Jackson, and this episode was recorded on July 19th, 2021 from South Carolina Public Radio Studios here in Columbia. Just so you know, some of the information in this podcast may have changed by the time you've heard it. This episode features a recap of the important Palmetto Perspectives conversation about controversial monuments and memorials in our state from several influential folks. And we hear about a new investment in reshoring critical parts of the PPE supply chain right in our own backyard. Scott Morgan brings us the latest installment on his series looking at pending evictions in the state. And one infectious disease expert from the state's largest hospital chain continues to sound the alarm against a potential upcoming surge. Additionally, we want to hear from you all because we love our listeners. Leave us a message about what's going on in your COVID world, and maybe more specifically, if you have a story to tell about vaccine hesitancy, or if you yourself overcame hesitancy surrounding the vaccines. Not even half of the state's eligible population has been vaccinated, which means you've definitely encountered a situation or know someone who hasn't been vaccinated against this life-threatening disease. Let us know about it. Call us at 803-563-7169. Leave your name, where you're calling from, and maybe how you've dealt with vaccine hesitancy in your life. 803-563-7169. Now for the latest in South Carolina. Currently, the spread of COVID-19 is moderate according to data from the Department of Health and Environmental Control though we'll see for how much longer. There have been 9,857 total deaths, and currently there are 603,641 total cases being reported in all 46 counties as of July 19th at 4 p.m. Our current percent positive rate is 7.5%. Not good. 192 people are currently hospitalized with COVID-19, 53 are in intensive care, and 16 are on ventilators statewide. And as predicted, we had our fourth week of increased cases last week, with 3,565 new cases being reported for the week ending July 17th. Our seven-day moving average continues to climb, and we're currently at 509 cases a day. And right now, 43.8% of eligible South Carolinians have been fully vaccinated. 43.8%. Every quarter, Palmetto Perspectives, a show hosted by my colleague Felicia Eady, tackles a different topic facing our state. Whether it's racial injustices, health disparities, or voting rights, Eady speaks with some of the most influential people in the state to help further the conversation and present important perspectives. Last week, several people joined her hour-long discussion on controversial monuments and memorials in our state. I know we talked about it several times on this pod, especially with USC professor Dr. Lydia Matisse-Brandt in her new book, The South Carolina State House, a guidebook, but a scheduling conflict prevented Brandt from participating in the conversation. However, her editor, Dr. Aaron Foley, who is acquisitions editor at the USC Press, discussed how the public can learn the true intentions behind the erecting of Confederate statues by looking at the conversations had during that time period. A, gr- a great place to start is, is the, the speeches that were given when these monuments were put up. Um, I mean, the people that put them there, they wanted to tell, you know, the, the gathering uh, crowd sort of what they were doing. And they're pretty explicit about it oftentimes. So that's kind of a, a great place to start. You know, newspapers, we have the, you know, now in our, in our current age, the benefit of having so much digitized. Uh, you can go back, you know, just for our city, the state newspaper through Richmond County uh, Public Library, and you can search You can word search these, you can search by date, and you can find all sorts of information about what's being written at the time. 
And I think that's really important to get that kind of contemporary look because it does, I think, you know, contextualize appropriately and, and, and probably, you know, put the lie most often to that strictly heritage sort of, sort of argument. Tiffany James, president of the National Action Network of Columbia, said museums serve as spaces to learn about the state's troubled past without needing to honor the people who represent that past so publicly. Every time a George Floyd incident happened, um, the, the nine parishioners that lost their lives um, while they were praising and worshiping their God, um, you know, whenever we hear about these stories, um, you're reminded of, you know, the, the statues that surround us, that's, um, that it's being honored. And I will say that I, I love history as well. Mm-hmm. And um, I used to be a social studies teacher. Um, but history belong, belongs in the museums. So I was at the um, Confederate Relic Museum um, about two weeks ago. And it was a great history lesson. And that's exactly where a lot of these symbols and monuments should be if we want to know history. But if we're going to honor somebody, Mm -hmm. it has to be someone who represents all people and not um, just, you know, people from the past or just a certain, um, you know, aspect of society. So um, the the Confederate statues are to commemorate and to honor. And so... um, it's definitely being honored in all of those spaces, mm-hmm. and um, it needs to be put in history um, in, in, the, in the museum. Founder and CEO of Blueprint Strategies, Antoine Seawright, picked up on James's point about the role tragedy plays in not removing controversial symbols and monuments, but how tragedy seems to be the catalyst for creating statues and paintings when it comes to important black South Carolinians. We have a tendency in this country, especially in our state, to sweep so many things under the rug. Mm -hmm. And as a result, our state and our communities find ourselves having lumps in our carpet and generations of people trip over those lumps because we want to sweep things under the rug. The good news about this conversation we're having is the tectonic plates have shifted. The last two polls I saw, Mm -hmm. Quinnipiac and a Washington Post poll, majority of Americans, that's Democrats, Republicans, black, white, Majority of Americans, meaning over 50%, agree that these statues should be removed. The unfortunate thing about a place in like South Carolina where we live and many southern states is we honor people when they die. And usually when they die for something horrific, in particular people who look like me. It took Clemente Pinckney's picture being hung at the state house only because he was killed the way he was with 80 other people in a place in Charleston. There's so many beautiful, bright spots of South Carolina history where we can honor so many pioneers and so many African-Americans, and we don't have those discussions. And I think that's where the majority of the problem lies when it comes to statues and even discussions about people who, who should be honored in particular this state. Now, I know these were just a few snippets from an important ongoing conversation in our state, but check out the rest of that Palmetto Perspectives and so much other great content on youtube.com slash South Carolina ETV. And hit the subscribe button so you can always be alerted every time new content is added to our channel. Moving on, this is a bit politics, a bit business, a little bit of medical right here. But hey, I determine where things go in this pod, okay? It's mine. <laughs> yes, Gavin, we know. Late last week, Governor Henry McMaster joined other officials in congratulating Lexington County-based Nephron Pharmaceuticals for its announcement to reshore a small part of the country's personal protective equipment supply chain, 
with its new plant that will produce up to 3 billion medical-grade gloves in its first year and create some 250 jobs. Now, this has been a big push for many since the pandemic highlighted critical PPE supply chain issues last year. Here's the governor. Uh, this is a part of our plan to get in the life sciences, pharmaceuticals. Uh, this is the, this kind of uh, investment in this kind of business is, is something that is vital to our future, for our national security. So thank you and your company for the, the great faith that you've shown in the people of South Carolina in this place in these years. Also, this, this shows how we don't have to be dependent on China and these other countries that we do not want to be dependent on for PPE or anything else. Uh, it's part of our national security, and I say again, this is just the beginning. Lou Kennedy, owner and CEO of Nephron, said that this $100 million investment is just one of several ventures the company is pursuing when it comes to increasing its footprint. Now, we have about two or three other things that we're working on um, that we talked about last summer. Those haven't all manifested. We're finishing those out this summer. And when those are done, we'll make sure to let you guys know. But we are currently building a vaccine, antibiotic, and chemotherapeutic wing. And then at the um, end of the park, we're hoping to get into the um, syringe business. So not just uh, PP, not just drugs, but also the components we need. And a little statehouse FYI, the Senate Redistricting Subcommittee, which is under the Senate Judiciary Committee, will hold its first meeting on Tuesday at the 20th at 10.30 a.m. You can watch it on scstatehouse.gov or wait for the recap on this podcast on Saturday. The House is expected to hold a similar meeting in early August. Meanwhile, the state isn't planning to get updated census figures that it will use to redraw state House, Senate, and U.S. House congressional districts until August 16th. Stay tuned. Stay tuned. We'll be watching. The Boeing 787 Dreamliner plant in North Charleston is once again slowing down production after problems have been found upon inspection of the Twin Isle jet, now exclusively produced in the state. The Post and Courier reported that a newly identified issue was found in part of the nose of the plane. Small gaps were identified between two sections of a part of the aircraft called the forward pressure bulkhead, which helps maintain cabin pressure in flight. This comes after deliveries were halted due to the Federal Aviation Administration saying it needed more data from the aerospace giant to determine whether Boeing's targeted checks were sufficient versus safety inspections of every aircraft. That delivery delay came after a five-month pause that ended in March, which was due to gaps, fraction of an inch wide, that were found in portions of the planes where sections were joined together. Moving on, Scott Morgan brings us the latest on what could happen in our state when the CDC's eviction moratorium concludes at the end of the month. This also includes a race to match up millions in rental assistance dollars sent to the state with landlords. Here's Scott. I'd like you to picture a quarter and think about how big it is compared to a dime and a thin slice of green onion and that little tiny hole in the top of a big pen cap. I'm looking at a map that I know you can't see over the radio, so I'm trying to give you a sense of the scale of the red dots over every U.S. state. South Carolina is the quarter. There are maybe three full dimes, a few almost dimes, lots of scallion slices, quite a few pen cap holes. And what they show is how big South Carolina's appetite is for evicting renters compared to every other state. 
And my friend, it ain't even close. I definitely get more worried when I think about a state like South Carolina, where I know there are not a ton of existing tenant protections in place, where I know that historically landlords have filed at very high rates. Ann Cat Alexander is a researcher at Eviction Lab, the project that made the map with the red dots. And while I promise not to bog you down in a series of numbers and data points, it is important to know that South Carolina's rate of eviction from 2000 to 2016 nearly doubles those of Delaware and Maryland, which would jockey for the worst rate in the country if not for us. What scares Alexander about South Carolina's history of eviction filings and ejectments is how it might play out when the CDC's eviction protections end on July 31st. We don't know what's going to happen at the end of this. We don't know how many eviction cases might currently be paused due to the eviction moratorium that could suddenly all become active at once. At the beginning of July, seven of South Carolina's main housing advocacy groups signed onto a letter asking State Chief Justice Donald Beatty to consider instituting continuances on pending eviction cases that could be months old. Attorney Adam Prothero of SC Appleseed, one of the signers of that letter, says the intention of the request is to allow nearly a quarter million dollars in federal rental assistance money to get to landlords before magistrates start making final decisions. The problem is the dollars are in the pipeline, but evictions are going to get started sooner than those dollars will get out. There's every indication, and that's a lot of the reason why we're asking for some, some procedural changes in the eviction process to try and prevent a preventable tragedy. So far, that letter has gone publicly unaddressed by the state Supreme Court. Keep in mind there is no statewide housing court with dedicated judges in South Carolina. About 320 county-level magistrates adjudicate eviction cases. But they also hear smaller criminal matters like warrants and traffic cases, literally by the hundreds of thousands a year. A 2019 investigation by the Post and Courier and ProPublica found that most of those judges with the fate of people's residency in their hands never practiced law before taking the bench. Alexander says setups like this are far from conducive to equitable solutions for landlord-tenant disputes. I think sometimes people think that the way that eviction court works is like a landlord and a tenant talk to a judge about a dispute and the judge decides whether the right remedy for this is to just sever the, the contract between them. And that's, of course, not at all how it actually works in eviction court. It's basically a rubber stamp proceeding. Speculating just how bad things could get is dodgy. There are plenty of public records about serial filers, for example. Those are landlords who keep making eviction filings, often on the same tenants over and over, as a method of compelling payment of rent. And there are plenty of databases charting average rents, number of filings, number of official evictions. But none of those can chart unofficial evictions, which, says housing attorney Mark Fessler of SE Legal Services in Greenville, could make the eventual number of evictions in the state seem less overwhelming. One reason we're not expecting it to be as much of an onslaught as you might think is most of the magistrates, maybe all of them, have interpreted the CDC moratorium not to apply to end of lease term situations. And because the moratorium has been uh, extended a number of times, a number of the leases that might have been originally protected by the moratorium have come to an end of their own natural accord. And Cat Alexander worries that a lack of official eviction cases will lead people to conclude that the situation wasn't as bad as feared. Where state moratoria expired last year, including in South Carolina, filing rates shot up and stayed up. But there were no huddled masses clinging to dear life to flotsam in the ocean. No one dramatic image that shocked people into recognizing the problem for what it was, and still is. 
One issue is that filing rates here have stayed below what is considered historic normal since last year. But normal, Alexander says, should not be the bar we set. People try to talk about like, oh, well, case volume is only 70% of normal. But look, it's below normal. When this uh, pandemic ends, we can't go back to normal because normal is already a crisis. For scale, the normal number of eviction filings is about 15,000 a year for just the city of Greenville. Thanks again to Scott for contributing slash slowly taking over this podcast. But he's doing a great job keeping an eye on a critical issue as we again approach this moratorium deadline nationwide. We know COVID cases have been rising in our state for the past few weeks due to the unvaccinated among us who are not following protocols such as masking and social distancing in public. While the increase is predominantly affecting other unvaccinated people, it could soon lead to increased workloads for frontline healthcare workers in our state, among other issues. Prisma Health officials held a press call late last week to discuss the implications of these worrying numbers that are on the rise now in all 50 states as the more contagious Delta variant continues to solidify its foothold in the United States, where COVID cases have doubled over the past three weeks, while only some 57% of the country, aged 12 and older, has been fully vaccinated. Dr. Helmut Albrecht, the medical director for the Center of Disease Policy and Research for Prisma Health and the University of South Carolina, started off the call with this perspective on the spiking numbers. We are predictably seeing another surge. It is, however, a little different from from the other ones we've seen. It tends to be a lot more localized. We see that here in South Carolina too than previous searches. And it's heavily biased towards unvaccinated communities. Um, Those tend to be younger, tend to be more likely in uh, communities of color, in immigrant communities, especially Hispanic communities, because they tend to be young and communities who already suffer from health disparities, i.e. access to care, ability to pay for care. And as a very rural state, we have a significant number of these. Another reminder is that we've now seen over 600,000 deaths in the U.S. And we're all getting a little numb to the increasing numbers, but I, I just think it's important to remember that these are not numbers. These are our neighbors, family members, friends, our elderly and people in our community whose immune system cannot do this by themselves. So who depend on you to get vaccinated to protect them. So these are real people. We had weeks um, in the beginning of the year where every day we lost more Americans than on 9-11. And we cannot want to go back to that. But if the cases continue to go up, we will see more deaths. But now virtually all of them are completely avoidable, in my opinion, with an incredibly effective and safe vaccine out there. Dr. Albrecht has more insight on how the Delta variant is operating in the state. Even though health officials say only a dozen cases have been discovered in South Carolina through random surveillance and sequencing of samples, it's understood that the amount of Delta spread is far greater and will soon become the dominant strain. 
one of the problems is that it's more infectious, but it also creates seems to create larger clusters. We are certainly currently working up in our um, Midlands area here, several outbreaks that are disturbingly large by the time we get our hands on them. And while we ha don't have the results back, we assume they're, they're essentially Delta outbreaks as well. One issue that I think we need to learn from is that a lot of the UK and Israel outbreaks were school-based and time is running out because you need three weeks in between the two shots and then another two weeks to fully build your immunity. By that time, it's five weeks from now, we're going to go back to school here as well. And if we don't learn from these Missouri's or Israel's and hope it will run differently, it's easier to predict that it will not. And Dr. Birch is an expert in that field and will expand on that. We're seeing more breakthroughs in vaccinated as well, but the vaccines are still very, very good in preventing severe infections, hospitalizations, and deaths. And breakthroughs are actually not a problem for the vaccinated. They're a real problem for the unvaccinated. I may get a cold and that may be COVID. Vaccinated people are still okay. Unvaccinated will carry the brunt of this so please, if you have not been vaccinated yet, follow the recommendations of the voices of so many trusted medical professionals and others in your community. Everyone in my family has been vaccinated, and I still remember just how relieved I was to know that they have the best protection against an increasingly unpredictable virus, which can cause an array of short to long-term problems for folks. In fact, studies show that the COVID disease interacts with your DNA and leaves changes there for years. It affects your brain, it interferes with your productive health, and even pregnancy. The vaccine does none of those things. That's all COVID. Additionally, the CDC reports that there have only been 3,554 hospitalized breakthrough cases and 733 deaths out of the more than 157 million fully vaccinated individuals in the country. Yes, these vaccines are new in a sense, but there have been years of research done to get us to this critical point for this new vaccine technology that is the next frontier in fighting and eradicating so many diseases that affect us, like COVID-19. The polio and smallpox vaccines were new at one time, too, and your parents and grandparents got them and are living proof, just as generations not afflicted by those diseases are, of their efficacy. This is another one of those moments, folks. Welcome to the wind down section, our little break from the news. We talk about life during the pandemic and want to hear your stories as well. So tell us about those stories, 803-563-7169. We also want to know, like I told you at the top, want to hear about your experiences with vaccine hesitancy. If at one point you were hesitant about getting the vaccine but got it, or if you're dealing with some friends or family members that are hesitant about it, let us know what you're doing and how they're handling it, 803-563-7169. Uh, At what's our uh, what's the hopper looking like? Oh, we uh, we've had some people that have had some hesitancy to call in. Oh my god! Yep, that's right. But uh, they they fight through it, and they uh, should. There's they nothing should. to fear here. There's nothing to Just fear. Just like the vaccine. Yep. This is this is uh, highly efficacious. Oh yeah. Uh, so um, uh, this we got another call from a diehard day one listener. Mm. She calls in a lot. She called in before, but you know what? I'll never tell her to stop. Keep calling in, baby. No one will stop. No Can't one stop. Won't stop. <laughs> Can't stop. Once you start, once you pop, 
the fun don't stop. That's a good phrase. I think a company should use that to I think we started potato that. Potato chips. Uh, no. What? Podcast. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. <clears throat> so anyway, here we go. Hey, it's Rose from Greenville County. I, um, I know I just called, and but I had two things kind of important. Uh, a lot of people are going out hiking or, you know, experiencing the outdoors on trails for the first time. Uh, please make sure that you are taking lots of water, at least one liter for every one to two miles that you're going to be out and be prepared to stay overnight even if you have, uh, aren't planning on it. If you're going to be more than 30 minutes away from emergency response services, please consider having someone with you who's trained in wilderness first aid. Um, had a lot of experiences on trails recently where people weren't prepared and while we've been able to help them, uh, we do want to make sure that people are being safe. Second thing, my kids saw the ad for the Fast and Furious movie that's coming out and they said that would be a great movie for Mystery Science Theater 3000. They said because they could all do them all at once and it'd be all the same. Anyway, not a great big uh, fan of that series. Um, but the kids thought it would be good for MST3K. Take care. Rose, thanks for following up with us. Yes, I agree. Hydration is crucial for hiking and everyday use. AT, <laughs> I mean, we're always chugging water here at work. I'm a wet guy. Uh, we used to have the big water coolers. I'm kind of wishing they'll come back soon. I don't know. A little. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. It's a little gross. I don't I know if I'm ready for them. Touch it. I don't need to, like, put my water bottle to the tap. I see a lot of people doing it. Okay. Well, maybe we just have, like, some wet ones nearby. You can just wipe <laughs> the tap. And... That cures all. Yeah. Anyway, gross. Um, thank but you yeah, so much. Also a big proponent of bringing first aid kits with me if I'm doing some wilderness activity like that. You never know when you might need a good bandage or a Band-Aid or anything. <laughs> like, I'm already thinking about things right now for, for my trip to Greece. You never know what you might need because then you're in a foreign country. You know, you can't just go and get hydrocortisone cream. Okay, sure. I always put that in a bag for you. That's never going to not come in handy. <laughs> But speaking of injuries yes. out in the wilderness, yeah, I, have, we, I had a close call recently. We have, well, Gavin, we have to pivot here to um, the fallout of your birthday. Yeah, <laughs> which we're still experiencing, you know. I finally I, recovered from it, I know, sort of. Me, like uh, many other people, are still just so hung up on the five <laughs> pieces of pizza that you ate that just feels so woefully okay, short. They were uh, very bready. You know, I, was, I immediately ate three on the spot when I first got there, okay? Wait, we're not here about to talk about pizza. And then I jumped back okay. out there. We're not going to. Because I had a roller skate. And here's the here's the issue, folks. Yeah, okay. here, here's get to what it. Let's things. get to it. We're not going to talk about how little pizza you ate. But, but. <laughs> well, if you're roller skating, there's a lot of lot of moving parts. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I've done this before, so I'm not as sore. My body has that muscle memory from, like, the first time I did it a couple yeah. years ago, you're, which you're was so just strong, very anyway. You're just naturally strong. My body's so. like, we're ready for this. However. Sinewy strong life you see him floating <laughs> around. One part of my body was not so amped for this, and that yeah. was my right foot. I would say one of the two most important parts of your body when roller skating. The foot. The foot. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so. That foot plays a critical role. Um, <laughs> Gavin skips foot day. But since I took my time off from eating pizza to roller skate for a couple hours. Mistake, I mean. There's a lot of, you're, you're moving your foot within your roller skate to, I mean, I'm probably not doing it as, as best as I could because I'm yeah. not a seasoned roller skater. I think that's a big Anyway, point. I felt it moving a lot. You're moving a lot, right? Your foot independently and uh, let's get controlling to it. it. Let's get to it. Admit I'm explaining. It. Admit it. Admit it. And so here we go. So that was on like a Wednesday. Fast forward to the next Monday, Tuesday after, you know, the long weekend. And my foot is like 
having some pains in the morning. My right foot, it's it's getting some weird bruising going on. Everyone has the worst case scenarios. Yeah. I'm researching foot injuries. I'm oh. learning new things about my foot, which I'm terrified of injuring because it's like your back. Once you mess with your foot or You're your back, for. it's it's just game over, man. So I walked into Gavin's office. Oh, Suffice like oh, look say. at this ableism brag. So I, I walked in. Yeah. My God. I walked into Gavin's office. His foot. He plops it on the desk. He it's goes, disgusting. look at this baby. <laughs> and it was it was bruised. It was red and gross looking. It was just red. It wasn't and like he, it didn't get run over by like he, a tractor. He informed me he had a uh, broken a Liz Frank in- injury. It was a Liz Frank injury, which I didn't know about. That's the middle portion of your foot, and folks. And then it turned into plantar fasciitis. But yeah. all that got cleared up. You went to the doctor. Yeah, I went to a got- doctor. There's a great little uh, walk-in orthopedic clinic after hours here in Columbia. I was very fortunate that I could do this. I got some close-ups of my foot done just, you know, because that's the thing these days. It's for your OnlyFans. You know, and I wanted the x-rays. And I look back, I'm like, I, I wanted to get a picture of my x-rayed foot just, you know, for content purposes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Didn't the lead does it. have an only, OnlyFans, though. Look and, it up. Yeah, it's just me reading from the studio. <laughs> but uh, it was it was easy. It was quick. You know, yeah, it's going to cost me a couple hundred bucks. But at least we got it figured out. The doc's like, yeah, you just got an inflamed, like, fasciitis. And I was like, okay, I, I thought so. I was self-diagnosing a little bit too much, but I just really like the idea of you roller skating around, minding my a own little, business. Little light on pizza, probably could have been more, but like <laughs> the sugar, it, from I could the see, soda. I could see uh, your foot feeling a little not right, and you going, you know what? I'm gonna try harder. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it reminded me a lot of skiing, where you're just like kind of pushing through the pain, which is probably not the the most ideal way to go, but it, it didn't hurt at the time. I was drinking so much soda, I probably didn't know what was going on anyway. So uh, There's one thing I wanted to bring up about your birthday after your foot <laughs> is that so um, Ga- I, I parked next to Gavin the other day. and m- need, <laughs> We it, talked about them. Not not here, not like okay, this. Okay, no. But, uh, not here, not now. Uh, Go ahead. G- uh, Gavin, he told us that his birthday was uh, a few weeks ago now. And uh, he told us that well, he, got, yeah. he got a uh, uh, microwave for his birthday. Cutting edge technology. Cutting edge technology. I mean, I don't know anyone else with a microwave. But anyway, uh, what I saw when I when I got out of my car is that he's been driving around with this <laughs> microwave in his back seat for weeks. I have nowhere to put this microwave in my home, okay? I have no counter space. I don't even want it. No offense, Dad, but I don't need it. Dad. <laughs> but I did have to take it out the other day because... Um, I might have left my windows cracked because yes. it gets so hot. Of course, it's also very unpredictable weather these days. And it rained uh, seven inches in an <laughs> yes, hour. It was quite the downpour. Uh, we went golfing on Saturday, and his car was still wet. It was, <laughs> yeah, I was finding new wet spots. I had to take out the floor mats. And uh, things are getting better, but there were some uh, electrical issues that, are, that have <laughs> since remedied. But just don't even bother cracking the windows, folks. That's my advice. Or if you're going to open them, never close them again. <laughs> you you know? Take the car doors off like it's a Jeep and just drive it it's like a, a Jeep. It's a Jeep thing, you know? <laughs> even if it's a Volkswagen Passat, treat it like a Jeep. <laughs> <laughs> any any tips or tricks, if you've experienced this, please let us know. 803-563-7666. I also have a question for everyone. Uh, it, I, I don't know if it's just this time of year, if everyone is dealing with this, but my house has become overrun by the fruit flies. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Um, I don't know what to do. Do you if, have fruit laying out? <laughs> I got fruits. Yeah, obviously I got fruits. I got I, it's peach time. I got I, I got I, some bananas laying around. Nanners are been... getting me. So if anyone has like a, a a surefire way to get rid of the fruit flies, please, please I, help I just, me. I just read something on the internet. Everyone has a wacky way. Well, it's, it's something about like a, a like a bowl of water with dish soap and 
listen to no, this. No, no, no. It's dish soap and just <laughs> apple cider vinegar. I read it. I read it. Okay. So, I mean, give it a try. Maybe we've got some other ones out there. People can work, but... Uh, I got, I got both those things. I'm, I'll give it a whirl. I'm ready I'll to kill these friggin' flies, so please help me do a murder my in my house. My so um, Between this and the squirrels, you got to wonder what kind of person he is. <laughs> yeah, don't don't come in my house or you're not coming out. You're, you're leaving in a body bag, okay? <laughs> Say bye, Gavin. Say goodbye to everyone. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the pod, folks. Show us your appreciation by leaving us a review on iTunes or a voicemail like Rose. Give us some tips and tricks about fruit flies or... Any other summer remedies you have for us at 803-563-7169. Stay up to date with the latest news on SCETV.org and SouthCarolinaPublicRadio.org. And don't forget to support your local newspapers. For the South Carolina Lead, I'm Gavin Jackson. Be well, South Carolina. Chase the dragon with me. Oh, my God. Mm. Chase the dragon with Gavin. <laughs>